read through Luke's gospel, you'll see that loads of it, Jesus is eating. He's either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. So often you see that uh, Jesus' time in Luke's gospel is spent with people around a dinner table. And as we do that, we're going to learn really important things about who Jesus is and who he wants to spend time with. And I pray that as we do that, we'll be amazed at, at what he's done and who he is. But this morning, let's ask each other this question. When was the last time that Jesus shocked you? Have you ever been shocked by Jesus? Because when we grasp what's happening in these few verses, from verse 27 down to 32 in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, it should really shock us. Uh, what's going to shock us here? This is what's going to shock us. The grace of God. It should really surprise us here. What do we mean when we say the grace of God? Well, this is what I mean by it, is this. God doesn't treat us as we deserve, but shows us a deep, lavish love instead. God's grace is he doesn't treat us as we deserve, but shows us a deep, lavish love and kindness instead. So how amazed are you? How shocked are you by the grace of God? Maybe you've never been amazed or shocked. Can I encourage you right now in your heart just to ask God, please would you shock me this morning by your grace? Help me to be amazed by it. Or maybe you've grown up and you've kind of heard a lot of it. Maybe over the years you've just got used to it. Perhaps this morning you are numb to God's grace. What are some of the signs you might be grace numb this morning? Here's a few of them. This morning you've come into church and you're not sure if God loves you or not. You might say that he does, but really in your heart, you're not sure. Because you've had a bad week, you've struggled, or you've done certain things, and you wonder, does God love me today? That's a sign that we're grace numb. Maybe you're grace numb in a way that, like this, that you just take it for granted. You think about God's grace, and it doesn't move you, and you think about it. You can sing Amazing Grace, and it's not that amazing to you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. That's, and that's what we want to pray for, isn't it, for each one of us? But maybe for you, you don't feel like that. You long to, but you don't. Maybe this morning, this is a sign that you're grace numb, that you look down on other people. You see yourself as better than others. You think, well, I would never do that, or I'd never end up like that. Maybe you think like this. Um, um, I don't really believe that people can be saved. I don't really believe that God could change that person's life or that person and you write people off as having no hope. There's no chance of them in their life, no chance at all. Or maybe this morning you're just beating yourself up because you think you're not good enough for God. Now all of these things in different ways show us that we haven't grasped the grace of God or we've forgotten it or we've grown numb to it. So this morning as we look at those symptoms, let's pray that God would shock us and amaze us at the grace we see in this passage. I want us to see three things about the grace of God in these verses. The first is we're going to see that the, the grace of God is radical. Then we'll see the grace of God is powerful, and then we're going to see that the grace of God is offensive. Okay, so three things that we'll see. The first is let's look at the radical grace of God. So Jesus was starting to gather his team together. Look at the start of chapter 5 of Luke. He's calling his first disciples. And there he's walking by the lake, and he calls fishermen to come and be part of his group, part of his team. 
Now, these fishermen would have been hardworking. They'd have been entrepreneurial. You know, they'd have been respected businessmen at the time. And then, as Jesus is walking around that area, he sees Levi. Now, Levi, another name that Levi had was Matthew. So, you know, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is Matthew we're talking about here. This is who Jesus meets. And he sees this tax collector sitting in a tax booth. And there he is. Now, before we go any further, it's really important we get the disdain that people would have had towards tax collectors back then. Because at the moment, if we think of a tax collector, it's kind of quite a, um, a respected job, isn't it? It's a decent job, a civil servant. Just, tax collectors aren't thought of much, uh, any very badly today. But back in this time, it was very different. So the tax collector works, they worked for the Roman army. Remember, the Romans were the enemies that had come in and occupied Jewish territory. And we know that two decades before Jesus in uh, modern-day France, Gaul, they slaughtered two million people to bring in their empire. That's the kind of people we're talking about here, brutal. Just kill people to get out of their way because we want this area. They were oppressors that, if you read on in Luke 13, they massacred Jews in the temple. They were brutal, evil regime. And Levi here worked for them. Romans didn't pay tax collectors. Um, The tax collectors would have to charge extra and they would pocket the difference. So here's what they needed to get to the Romans. They needed to get something for a living. So they would charge uh, their own people more to fund their life. And they used to be rich. You look at Zacchaeus, we'll look at him in however many months time. But he was a rich man because he was fleecing people for more and more and more. The only reason you'd want this job is because you wanted more money. Now, as you look at um, um, Levi here, look at his name. His name's Levi. In the Old Testament, the Levites, they were like a a real privileged one of the 12 tribes. They were the priests. So this was a man who was a, he was a Jew, he's from a Jewish family, and yet he was now on the team of the Romans. Tax collectors were known as corrupt people. They weren't trusted in court. You could, you were allowed to lie to them. They would have been thrown out of the synagogues, thrown out of their families. And they did all of this for money. They did all of it uh, because they wanted to get money off their own people. So can you see, this man is somebody who would have been despised. He would have been the lowest of the low. The Jews would have looked down on him so much. He had betrayed his nation. He had left his family. He had done this. He had teamed up with these horrible, brutal Romans. They were despised. They were the outcasts. They were nobodies. They were corrupt. They were people without any hope. I want you to picture in your mind somebody who you think would be the most least likely to trust in Jesus, who would have no interest. Somebody who, if you're honest, you've written off. Somebody you're looking down on. That's what you need to think of as this tax collector. Amazingly, this person, Levi, Jesus walks over to him and he says, follow me. I want you in my team. And what does Matthew do? What does Levi do? Verse 28, leaving everything, he rose and followed him. There is nothing at all that Levi has done uh, that Jesus thinks has potential here. There's nothing that he's done. Jesus doesn't say, Levi, in a few weeks, I'm going to ask you to follow me. 
sort yourself out, quit your job as a tax collector, and then I'll come back and ask you to follow me. When you get yourself sorted, when you stop doing this, when you've done, then you can follow me. No, Jesus says, follow me now. And Levi comes. Now, can you see how this is radical? What is this telling us about Jesus? Becoming a follower of Jesus, it's showing us, is not about what we do. It is not about what we do. Becoming a follower of Jesus is all about his grace towards us. It's a gift. This is how one theologian, J.I. Packer, explains the grace of God. The grace of God is love freely shown toward guilty sinners, contrary to their merit and indeed in defiance of their merit. It is God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity and had no reason to expect anything but severity. We deserve nothing from God. We've just ignored him and lived our life in his world without any care for him. And yet, in his grace, he wants to offer us love and kindness. Have you slipped into thinking, I need to sort my life out and then maybe Jesus will accept me? Once I get these things in place, then I'll be good enough. Or maybe this morning you're thinking, because of my past, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. Because of what I've done, that's it. I have, he's, he's written me off. Or maybe this morning you have written people off. Maybe there's people who you think they are too bad for God. They are too far. They won't want to know all about Jesus. But here Jesus is saying salvation is a gift. You don't earn it. I give it to you. So for you this morning, that means whatever you've done, whatever your past, Whatever you have uh, been through, Jesus comes to you through his word today and he says, follow me. Follow me. Follow my path. And you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but what about, and he says, follow me. We can sort all that. We can deal with all that. Just follow me. So many people believe that being a Christian is someone who is trying to be good so that God will love them or that maybe we can get into heaven if we're good enough. But a Christian is someone who has realized, I have failed. I've got nothing. I come empty-handed, and I'm aware that I need God's grace. Jesus calls you today to follow him. Whatever your past, whatever your history. Now, if you're a Christian today, remember this. There's nothing you've done to earn God's love for you. When he said, however many years ago it was, follow me, and you followed, it wasn't because of anything you'd done. It was his grace towards you, which means he loves you today as much as he loved you then. He loves you today as much as he loves you as he ever will, because there was nothing in you to make you love him, uh, nothing you did to make him love you, nothing you can do to make you love him any less, nothing to to make him love you any less. I hope you can make sense of those words. (laughs) If you are saved by grace, it's because God has done it all, and you are safe in him. And that is radical. It's free to anyone, whatever you've done. Can you see how radical and shocking that is? And we still want to put caveats in, don't we? We want to say, but what? Jesus says, follow me. First and foremost, it is radical. The second thing we see here is that the grace of God is powerful. Here is this outcast. He has been written off by everybody. He is corrupt. He is hated and despised. 
people wouldn't go near him. If they were to go near a tax collector, Jews, Jewish people would become unclean. Yeah, so if he were to go into a building, he would make that unclean. So people would stay away from these tax collectors. But Jesus calls him, and here's the most amazing thing. What does Matthew do? What does Levi do? He leaves everything. He rose and followed him. Someone who everyone else has written off, someone who would think, could he really be interested in Jesus? He follows him. We don't know what he knew about Jesus before this. We don't know um, what uh, he found out about him, but we do know that when Jesus called him, he couldn't resist. He had to follow. He had to go. And not only that, but straight after that, we see that in verse 29, Levi made this great feast, and Jesus comes and enjoys this meal. Now, a meal today is quite a close thing. You have to sit close to someone. You have to talk to people. But back then, it was even more an intimate thing. We see there that they were um, a large company that were reclining at the table. So they would be lying down. That's how they would eat, lying down next to each other. It was a close thing, an intimate thing. So here is Jesus going to spend time with these unclean tax collectors and sinners. And he's there. He's with them. Now, Jews would have stayed away but Jesus went close. Now Jesus is getting his team together. He's getting his disciples together to get a message out to the whole world. And who does he choose? Well, somebody we least expect. A traitor who is hated by everybody. And he says, Matthew, I want you. Levi, I want you. Totally disrespected, totally loathed person. But Jesus looks at him and says, I know the power of the grace of God. And he calls him. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, Jesus is reminding us, firstly, this. Jesus uses failures. He uses failures. He uses the weak. He uses the unexpected. He doesn't use people who've got it all together. That's what we go on to see when he says, I've not come to call the well, but the sick. Who are people in Jesus' team? People who know that they're unwell. People who know that they're struggling. People who know they've done wrong. People who know they need Jesus. It's not about, um, you look through the Bible, it's not about perfect people that we try and emulate. You read through the Bible and every one of the characters has some kind of flaw or, or something wrong. As I mentioned earlier, you look at Noah's life. He messed it up at the end. You look at Abraham, all over the place he's putting his foot in it. Jacob, the swindler. You look at Joseph, the arrogant man who thought that all his brother, he was the best. All his brothers needed to bow down to him. You look at David committing adultery and murder. Solomon all over the place. You go to the New Testament, you see Peter you know, denying Jesus, full of people who, not, not saying you need to be like this, but actually look, they need, it, they need a saviour. So maybe this morning you feel unworthy. You feel, is, would God be interested in me? This is how God works. Sometimes we can think of, if you imagine the, the entry into God's kingdom, okay, becoming a Christian, we can think the door is higher and we have to climb the steps to get there. But you see what this passage is showing us? The door is actually very, very low down, and we have to get low to go in. We have to say, God, I can't do this. I failed, and I need Jesus. Grace runs downhill, so we humble ourselves. So the unworthy God wants to use. It also shows us this. Anyone can be saved. There's an encouragement here, isn't there? Levi was the most unexpected, surprising followers of Jesus. Now, maybe in your life, you trust Jesus and you'd love for 
your friends or family to trust in him. But you think that there's no way they would. You've just written it off in your mind. You've thought, no, there's no chance that they would come. But if you've done that, you've forgotten the power of the grace of God. When Jesus speaks and calls, even Levi had to follow. When Jesus speaks and calls to people, and he does a saving work in their life, they cannot but say, yes, Jesus, I will follow. Grace works in the hardest, in the stoniest of hearts, and he gives saving faith. So do not write anybody off. Pray for people. As William Booth from Salvation Army said, you know, pray for the worst. People you've written off. Some who might seem least interested. The power, there is power in the grace of God. There's a man called Brownlow North who was an 18th century evangelist and he had a terrible reputation before he became a Christian. Um, and he, once he became a Christian, uh, he wanted to enter the ministry and someone in the church authorities um, wrote down information all about Brownlow North's previous uh, mistakes and uh, his sins. And so they sent this to the church. And so he withdrew. He said, well, I can't be a minister if, if that's all out there. But then Christ did this powerful work in his life. And he came once again to the church and it was time to preach. But before he preached, there was another letter that was sent detailing all his sins. And he was told that he was a vile sinner. You know what Brownlow North did? He took this letter and he took it to the pulpit and he read it out. And he said, I am the man described here. And then he used this letter and he said, but look, I want to tell you about the grace of God in my life. It's a correct picture, he said, of the degraded sinner I once was. And oh, how wonderful must the grace be that could quicken and raise me up from such a death in trespasses and sins and make me what I appear before you tonight, a vessel of mercy, one who knows that all his past sins have been cleansed away through the atoning blood and the, of the Lamb of God. So the very thing that Satan thought would destroy Brownlow North, well, God used it and turned it round to something wonderful as an opportunity to show his testimony how God used, um, saved him and worked in his life. Can you see the powerful grace of God? That when Jesus calls, you can't say no. When he's working in someone's life. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're thinking, you know, perhaps this is true. And Jesus has been calling, he's been knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, follow me. And you want to. You know it's true, you know it's real and you want to follow. What's stopping you this morning? Jesus comes over to you this morning, he says, follow me. And maybe you look back on your life and think, years ago I wasn't interested. Years ago I didn't want anything to do with it, but now he's changed, he's changed me. That's the power of the grace of God. Anyone can be saved. So let's not write anyone off, off as a church. Let's pray. There's one other thing here that, um, that I hadn't noticed in this passage before. If you compare it with Mark's account in Mark's gospel, we see that both times before Jesus calls Levi, he's walking by the lake. And so one of the commentators points out that it's probably because Levi's tax booth is by the lake. We don't know for sure, but there he is. He's calling some of the first disciples, these fishermen, and then he turns and he sees the tax booth. And then he says, Matthew, Levi, follow me. And so these fishermen would have hated the tax collector. Every time they caught, they'd have to pay their well-earned money to the Romans. And now, Matthew ends up being in um, this group. So Jesus followers, you have people who are naturally poles apart. And yet, by the grace of God, they're brought near. And that is a picture of what followers of Jesus should be like. That's what a picture of the church should be like. 
we should be people from all different types of backgrounds, different socially, different politically, even people who we might have been enemies before we came to know Jesus. And the beauty of the grace of God is it brings people from different ends of the spectrum and brings us together by his grace. That's the beauty of church and what it should be, testifying that it's all about God's grace. It's not just these type of people that God saves, but all types. And so let's pray as a church that as we have these meals together, that we would be able to share it with people who maybe at the moment we've written off. At the moment, we wouldn't spend time with. It'd be lovely to see the church filled with people from all types of walks of life because of the power of the grace of Jesus. Let's pray that God would do that. So the grace of Jesus is radical. The grace of Jesus is powerful. But the last thing we need to see here is this. The grace of Jesus is also offensive. Because here's where this message starts to get uncomfortable for us, really, because we've seen Levi in the story and touched on Levi's friends. These are these other people who are the sinners, as the Pharisees call them. But look at these group, this other group in verse 30. We see the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the religious ones. These are the theologians. Uh, these are the ones, uh, as they looked, they were disgusted at what Jesus was doing. They were appalled at him. They see Jesus eating and drinking with Levi's friends, these tax collectors. We're told it was a large company, verse 29, but verse 30, the Pharisees and the scribes, they class them as sinners. Those who've ignored the laws and the rituals that they follow. Those who are maybe too busy or too poor to keep up with all the rules and regulations that they kept. These are the outcasts, the nobodies, the unclean. And Jesus is showing them love. He's showing them kindness by spending time with them. He's showing them compassion. And look what the scribes say in verse 30. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, what are you doing? What are you playing at? So how does Jesus respond? Well, Jesus says in verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, to, but sinners to repentance. And so what is he saying there? I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. He's not saying that some need him, some don't. He's saying we're all desperately sick, but only some are aware of their need. Only some realize they need. That's who I've come for. So you don't go to a friend you and say, oh, I'm feeling great today. I think I'm going to go and see the doctor. That's not what happens, is it? No, you go to the doctor because you realize that you need help. Doctors only hang around, really, with sick people <laughs> because people need their help and their support. Jesus is saying, I've come for those who know they're spiritually sick. I've come for those who know they need help. So how does this offend? Well, we see that the grace of God offends people who think they're okay. The grace of God offends people who think they can do it on their own. It offends people who think that they're good enough, that they don't need any help. And the Bible calls this self-righteousness. I'm okay on my own. I can make myself righteous. And self-righteousness in the Bible is always very, very dangerous. It makes you think you're okay when you're far from okay. Listen to how um, a man called Jack Miller describes Pharisees. He says this. The Pharisee is essentially a person who's more aware of the sin of others than of his own. 
He consequently feels superior to other human beings and judges them without first taking the beam out of his own eye. He also lacks loving hope. He does not expect grace to do much for him or others. A Pharisee is somebody who thinks they're okay, and because of that, they don't need Jesus. I wonder, is that describing you this morning? Have you slipped into this Pharisee way of thinking? Have you found yourself writing others off, tutting at other people for what they've ended up doing? Have you found yourself just looking down on others? Can you see what's happened? We've become self-righteous. You've thought that you are okay on your own and you don't need a doctor. You've forgotten God's grace and slipped into thinking you're better than others. See, if you're trusting in Jesus today, that's nothing to do with any righteousness in you. He has done it all. He is the doctor who has healed the sick and made us well. It's all of God's grace. You've done nothing to earn God's love at all. It's all from him. See what that means? Who are you in this story? We're Levi. We all are. We've done nothing to earn God's love. We're all sick, and we need a soul doctor, a soul physician. We don't just need a little bit of help. We don't just need a little bit of advice. Our problem is terminal, and we need Jesus. And without him, we are helpless. We need his power of forgiveness. We need his transformation inside out. He didn't just give us a little pep talk, a little bit of advice. He brought us spiritually from death to life. And it's all down to his grace, all of his grace, nothing to do with us. But the problem is we slip into the Pharisee shoes, don't we? And I wonder if you can see that this morning. The danger with this self-righteousness is that we don't realize we have it. The danger with self-righteousness is a blind spot we can't see. We're blind to our own problem. Is there any, anyone or any group of people that you would be uncomfortable if they came and sat next to you in church? How dare we look down on anyone? It's the grace of God in our lives. That's the only reason we're trusting in Jesus. Someone who is self-righteous thinks they're okay. Someone who thinks they're self-righteous is somebody who has made themselves righteous. Now we can see, can't we, the arrogance that is there. But before we finish, just let me point something else out. There's another way we can be self-righteous as well. Maybe this morning you're constantly beating yourself up. Feeling like you're not good enough for God. There's no way God would love me like this. Now that sounds humble but it's actually a form of self-righteousness. Because it's saying, if I was good enough, God would love me. If I could do these certain things or do this certain thing, then I would be good enough for God. So it's the other way around, but it's still self-righteousness. It's trusting in yourself and not Jesus. This is how Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. He says this, I'm not good enough sounds very modest, but it's the lie of the devil. It's a denial of the faith. You think you're being humble, but you'll never be good enough. Nobody's ever been good enough. The essence of the Christian salvation is to say he's good enough and that I am in him. We have got a powerful God with powerful grace, radical grace and offensive grace this morning. And Jesus is saying, there are those who are outcasts, 
and they are nearer to the kingdom of God than the religious. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Those, the, the outcasts are nearer to God's kingdom than the religious, and that is radical. The respectable types, the religious, well, those people who think they're okay. He says, I haven't come for them. I've come for the sick, those who see they're in desperate need. And Jesus willingly sat with these outcasts, willingly sat with people who everybody else had written off, willingly sat with those who were unclean. He knew that um, they, needed, they, they knew they needed to be saved, and Jesus was saving them. Now, how did Jesus save? Well, when we think about what we thought about this morning, how did Jesus save the unclean? How did he save the outcast? Well, on the cross, isn't that what happened to him? On the cross, he became sin for us. He became unclean. He became the outcast. He was cast outside of the city wall, outside of Jerusalem is where he was killed. And he did that. He took our place so that we could be forgiven so that we could take his place. He died so that we could be forgiven. And he did it all for us. So that means there's nobody too bad, or nobody too far away, nobody too hard that the grace of God can't touch. The grace of God should uh, shock us this morning, because it is anybody is able to come. There's nobody too hard, nobody too far. Now this morning, as Jesus said, follow you to you. If you've said yes, let's rejoice that there's nothing you did to earn that, and you rest in the freedom of his grace. But if you haven't said yes yet, what's stopping you? There's nothing that you can do to make you love you more. Follow him this morning. Now as a church, let's pray we don't slip into the pharisees and scribes shoes here let's pray that we are well we are the presence of jesus on earth and so we want to be those who are spending time with those who other people might look down on other people might write off are we showing the same welcome to all or have we slipped into self-righteousness let's pray that as a church we get to show the amazing welcome that jesus showed uh, as he called levi follow me so this morning the grace of God is radical. The grace of God is powerful. But as well, when we grasp it, the grace of God is offensive. Let's pray that we see the, the multicolored, glorious grace of God and show that to one another as a church. Let's pray before we sing our last song together. Father, we thank you so much for the amazing grace of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that in this uh, story that we've seen this morning, we are just like Levi. We've done nothing to earn your love or your grace. Lord, help us to be amazed at what you've done for us. And together, Lord, we want to admit we are the sick and we need that doctor, Jesus, to help us and, and to forgive us all of our sin. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.